Welcome to Season 3 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. This podcast is taken from the Poet's Corner. Podcast 113 is entitled Milton's Paradise Lost, Book 1, Introduction to Satan. Milton's genius is universally acknowledged, but that we even have paradise lost is a testament of what the creative mind is capable of. To ask, would we have paradise lost without Milton, one would have to ask, would we have Hamlet without Shakespeare, or the Odyssey without Homer, and so on and so on. The answer is probably not. Some things are nonpareil. Some works are a measure of the writer. Some are a measure of the reader. Such is paradise lost. We are not judging Milton. Milton is judging us. In the Poets' Corner series, I have decided to systematically work through the 12 books of Paradise Lost from a Christian point of view, and among other things, to see what Milton tells us about the wiles of the devil. I reflect on Peter's words. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Those familiar with Milton know of the richness of his imagery. He demands a lot from his reader, for his literary allusions come from the encyclopedia of classical scholarship. I shall focus primarily on his biblical allusions, which comprise only a short portion of the Bible, the story of the fall of man. Milton was blind when he wrote Paradise Lost, so we can assume that he borrowed from his comprehensive memory. Though over time I intend to finish Paradise Lost, I do not intend to exclude other great writers from Poets' Corner. Therefore, Milton will weave in and out of the podcast as a kind of dominating theme until somewhere down the road we reach the end. So, let us take advantage of Milton's analytical mind and see what we can learn from one of the greatest Christian thinkers of all time. Let's begin with his purpose statement. The story begins in the Garden of Eden, though Milton immediately takes us back to the pre-physical creation, to the war in heaven where Lucifer and his angels were cast out, prompting Christ, who saw all, to say, I saw Satan like lightning fall from heaven. Of man's first disobedience, and the fruit of that forbidden tree, whose mortal taste brought death into the world and all our woe, with loss of Eden, till one greater man restore us and regain the blissful seat. In five lines, Milton establishes the fall of man and the mission of Christ, who will restore us once again to that blissful seat, for we once lived with God in heaven. That is a revolutionary idea and shows Milton to be an independent thinker, for he goes against the orthodoxy of the Church of England of his day. Like all poets, he invokes the muses to help him. However, rather than calling upon the Greek muses, he calls upon the Holy Ghost. The following allusion is of Christ on Mount Sinai, given the Ten Commandments to Moses, who in the five books of Moses wrote the story of creation delivered to him by God himself. Sing, heavenly muse, that on the secret top of Orb or of Sinai didst inspire that shepherd who first taught the chosen seed in the beginning how the heavens and earth rose out of chaos. Or if Zion Hill delight thee more and Shiloh's brook that flowed fast by the oracle of God, I thence invoke thy aid to my adventurous song. Milton then announces that he is going to put to poetry what no other author has done that with no middle flight intends to soar above the Aeonian mount while it pursues things unattempted yet in prose or rhyme. 
Milton calls upon the Spirit of God, who requires not talent, but a pure heart. And chiefly thou, O Spirit, that doth prefer before all temples the upright heart and pure. Milton wants to be instructed by the Holy Ghost, who had a first-hand account of the creation. The allusion is of the baptism of Jesus, when the Holy Ghost descended upon him like a dove. Instruct me, for thou knowest thou from the first was present, and with mighty wings outspread, dove-like, saddest brooding on the vast abyss, and madest it pregnant. Milton, as he begins Paradise Lost, is blind, but he is not asking for physical sight. He is asking for spiritual insight. What in me is dark illumine, what is low raise and support. Then Milton establishes his theme. That to the height of this great argument I may assert eternal providence and justify the ways of God to men. Milton's purpose is to declare that Jesus is the Christ and the Creator and that he will justify the ways of God to man. Justice is a theme in the poem. Milton shows how it was justice that cast Satan out of heaven, and it is justice that condemns Satan to hell forever. One of the first things that Milton does is to introduce Satan. Say first, for heaven hides nothing from thy view, nor the deep tract of hell. Say first what cause moved our grandparents in that happy state, favored of heaven so highly, to fall off from their Creator and transgress his will for one restraint, Lord of the worlds besides. Who first seduced them to that foul revolt? The question is rhetorical, for we know that it was Lucifer. The infernal serpent, he it was whose guile stirred up with envy and revenge, deceived the mother of mankind, what time his pride had cast him out of heaven, with all his host of rebel angels, by whose aid aspiring to set himself in glory above his peers. Then Milton gives the reason. He trusted to have equaled the Most High if he opposed, and with ambitious aim against the throne and monarchy of God, raised impious war in heaven and battle proud with vain attempt. Him the Almighty Power hurled headlong flaming from the ethereal sky, with hideous ruin and combustion down to bottomless perdition, there to dwell in adamantine chains and penal fire, who doth defy the omnipotent to arms. The allusion refers to a passage in Isaiah. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning! How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations! For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. Milton, daring adventure that our blind guide is, gives us a very vivid view of hell. Nine times the space that measured day and night to mortal men, he... With his horrid crew lay vanquished, rolling in the fiery gulf, confounded though immortal. But his doom reserved him to more wrath, for now the thought both of lost happiness and lasting pain torments him. Round he throws his baleful eyes that witnessed huge affliction and dismay, mixed with obdurate pride and steadfast hate. 
Milton identifies pride as the cause of Lucifer's fall. Milton continues, At once, as far as angels can, he views the dismal situation waste and wild, a dungeon horrible, on all sides round, as one great furnace flamed, yet from those flames no light, but rather darkness visible served only to discover sights of woe, regions of sorrow, doleful shades, where peace and rest can never dwell. Hope never comes that comes to all, but torture without end still urges, and a fiery deluge fed with ever-burning sulfur unconsumed. Then Milton introduces the law of justice. For Lucifer and the other sons of perdition, there is no mercy, for they are all antichrists that will never call upon God for mercy. Therefore, they are subject to the full law of justice. Such place eternal justice has prepared for those rebellious, here their prison ordained in utter darkness, and their portion set, as far removed from God and light of heaven as from the center thrice to the utmost pole. Oh, how unlike the place from whence they fell! There the companions of his fall, overwhelmed with floods and whirlwinds of tempestuous fire. Here, Milton introduces us to Satan's second-in-command. He is called Beelzebub. While the other devils are imprisoned in the fires of hell and find it more comfortable to accept their fate, Satan and Beelzebub, though also in hell, moved away from the others and are overlooking their new kingdom. Satan, shocked at the change that has come over his chief counselor, whom he barely recognizes, says to Beelzebub, If thou beest he, but oh, how fallen! How changed from him, who in the happy realms of light clothed with transcendent brightness, did outshine myriads though bright. If he whom, with mutual league, united thought and counsels, equal hope, and hazard in the glorious enterprise, joined with me once, now misery hath joined in equal ruin, into what pit thou seest from what height fallen. So much the stronger proved he with his thunder, until then who knew the force of those dire arms. The name Lucifer means the shining one, or light bringer. Both Lucifer and Beelzebub have lost their light. It has all turned to the blackness of darkness. Lost from their former glory, they are separated by the absence of light. It is the eternal opposites, light and dark, good and evil, Satan and God, happiness and misery, liberty and captivity. The devils fell as far as they once were high. They could sink no lower than the height they once enjoyed. As with temporal law, so with spiritual law, it is the principle of opposition. Milton teaches us why Satan can never change, why he can never repent. Yet not for those, nor what the potent victor in his rage can else inflict, do I repent or change, though changed in outward luster, that fixed mind and high disdain from sense of injured merit, that with the mightiest raised me to contend, and to the fierce contentions brought along innumerable force of spirits armed, that durst dislike his reign, and me preferring his utmost power with adverse power opposed in dubious battle on the plains of heaven, and shook his throne. Proud Satan will never repent or change. His mind is fixed. He holds God in high disdain from his sense of injured merit. 
In other words, he blames God rather than himself for his fall. Satan's pride will not allow him to repent. What though the field be lost, all is not lost. The unconquerable will, the study of revenge, immortal hate, and courage never to submit or yield. To bend his knee to God and ask for mercy is unthinkable. And what is else not to be overcome? That glory never shall his wrath or might exhort from me to bow and sue for grace with supplicant knee and defy his power who, from the terror of this arm, so late doubted his empire that were low indeed. It is a greater shame to ask for mercy than to remain in hell. Therefore, Satan swears to continue the battle. That were an ignominy and shame beneath this downfall, since by fate the strength of gods and this imperial substance cannot fail. Since through experience of this great event in arms, not worse, in foresight much advanced, we may with more successful hope resolve to wage by force or guile eternal war. Irreconcilable to our grand foe who now triumphs, and in the excess of joy soul reigning holds the tyranny of heaven. It is ironic that Satan refers to the tyranny of heaven. He never admits his guilt, that he, not God, is the author of tyranny, the cause of the loss of free will and agency, and author of eternal captivity and damnation. His second in command, Beelzebub, flatters his master. O prince, O chief of many throned powers that led the embattled seraphim to war under thy conduct, and in dreadful deeds fearless endangered heaven's perpetual king, and put to proof his supremacy, whether upheld by strength or chance or fate, too well I see the rue, the direct event that with sad overthrow and foul defeat hath lost us heaven. And all this mighty host in horrible destruction laid thus low, as far as God's and heavenly essence can perish, for the mind and spirit remains invincible, and vigor soon returns, though all our glory extinct, and happy state here swallowed up in endless misery. Milton establishes Satan's power over all those who slavishly follow him. Satan's thoughts become their thoughts. Satan's ways become their ways, and even in hell they are still willing to follow their master. This gives us insight into the subtlety of wily Satan. Even though he rewards evil to all those who follow him, he can maintain their love and cause them to look to God rather than to himself for the cause of their misery. Milton parallels the sons of perdition who live with Lucifer in hell with those on earth who follow Satan but blame God for their misery. Beelzebub continues, slavishly echoing the will of his master. But what if he, our conqueror, whom I now of force believe almighty, since no less than such could have overpowered such force as ours, have left us this our spirit and strength entire, strongly to suffer and support our pains, that we may so suffice his vengeful ire? Or do him mightier service as his thralls by right of war, whate'er his business be, here in the heart of hell to work in fire, or do his errands in the gloomy deep, 
What can it, the avail, though yet we feel strength undiminished, or eternal being to undergo eternal punishment? Satan, always establishing his superiority, defines his mission on earth. Fallen cherub, to be weak is miserable doing or suffering, but of this be sure, to do aught good never will be our task, but ever to do ill our sole delight, as being the contrary to his high will whom we resist. Satan declares his purpose, to never do good and ever do evil. But the irony of his statement is that he unwittingly relinquishes all his agency and devotes his life to being contrary to Christ. Satan has no will of his own except the will to do just the opposite of what Christ wants. Satan has no agency because he has no choice between good and evil. His sole delight is in doing evil. He is bound in chains and doesn't know it. His behavior is entirely determined by Christ. Whatever Christ does, Satan will do the opposite. He further defines his goal. If then his providence out of our evil seek to bring forth good, our labor must be to pervert that end, and out of good still to find means of evil, which oft times may succeed so as perhaps shall grieve him if I fail not, and disturb his inmost counsels from their destined aim. Satan observes that Christ has retreated after having cast Lucifer and his angels out of heaven. Satan is going to take advantage of the absence of Christ. But see, the angry victor hath recalled his ministers of vengeance in pursuit back to the gates of heaven. The sulfurous hell shot after us in storm, or blown hath laid the fiery surge that from the precipice of heaven received us falling and the thunder winged with red lightning and impetuous rage perhaps hath spent his shafts and ceases now to bellow through the vast and boundless deep. Let us not slip the occasion, whether scorn or satiate fury yield it from our foe. Satan takes a closer look at hell and offers a plan that will actually keep them in hell forever, for they are making hell their eternal abode by making the best of it. Seest thou yon dreary plain, forlorn and wild, the seed of desolation, void of light, save what the glimmering of these livid flames cast pale and dreadful? Thither let us tend from off the tossing of these fiery waves, their rest, if any rest can harbor there, and reassembling our afflicted powers, consult how we may henceforth most offend our enemy. Our own loss, how repair, how overcome this dire calamity, what reinforcement we may gain from hope, if not, what resolution from despair. And so, Satan, by accepting the fact that they have no hope, rather than relent, will seek resolution from despair. Thus, Satan is bound forever in hell by his own pride and willful rebellion in a war that even his best counselor told him he could not win. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast. In Defense of Christianity is available at RonaldMesser.com.